Downtown Productions in cooperation with Zone Radio presents Downtown, the podcast. From the historic Zone Radio studios, here's your host, Rich Kimball. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, you. It's uh, it's Downtown, the podcast, episode number 145. Rich Kimball and Carrie Haskell with you. From the Zone Radio studios where we host our daily show, Downtown, Monday through Friday afternoons, 4 to 6 Eastern Time, the Zone Radio stations of Maine, streaming audio on the WZON app and at downtownwithrichkimble.com. We're brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. A couple of fun conversations on the podcast this week, uh, one with a regular on both the radio show and the podcast. We get things underway with a newcomer and a really fun conversation with actor Rich Summer, who, uh, well, you, you might know him from a whole lot of things. He was a regular for several seasons on Mad Men as Harry Crane, and then uh, has appeared in shows like Glow, where he had a, a regular role, and uh, has appeared in elementary movies as well. And a very interesting guy. We had a chance to talk television, film, stage work, and board games with the multi-talented Rich Summer. Rich, thanks so much for being with us. Hello, Rich. Thanks for having me. Uh, so many things to talk about, but but I want to start with this because uh, I'm curious to know about the slush puppies. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I was going to comment on the fact that I hadn't heard that theme song in a long time, but I really haven't heard about the slush puppies <laughs> in a long time. Um, <laughs> can I, uh, well, I'll, I'll ask you later how the heck you heard about the slush puppies. Anyway, slush puppies was my um, college improv group. Uh, we were we were a uh, a group of five of us, and then we we added nine members the next year. And we were just, uh, you know, I I was the manager of the group, and we toured the upper Midwest of Minnesota, North Dakota, basically five or six towns there that we played repeatedly for about a year and a half, and that was it. Well, see, I ask about it because I, I, I'm in an improv group here at the extremely amateur level. So anytime somebody's done improv, I always like to ask about that. Well, I assure you, we were uh, extremely amateur as well. But it was a very uh, a formative time for me, certainly. Does that skill, though, just going through that and following the rules of improv, does it help when, when you're acting and doing a scripted show? Because I always feel like, if nothing else, it improves your ability to listen to people. Absolutely. I mean, that's the number one thing, I would say. Uh, as you know, improv is as uh, much a sport of listening. In fact, probably more a sport of listening than it is of speaking or doing. Uh, just so that you can take in all the information and know how to respond to it. You know, the old uh, saying of acting is reacting. That all sort of plays into the same uh, bit. But on a show like Mad Men, where we never, 0% of the time did we improvise <laughs> words. We never ad-libbed words. But you still have to remain sort of um, fresh in your reaction. So even though the, the words you're going to say are scripted, the way you use those words, uh, you know, by degrees is, is sort of up to you. So that it definitely came in handy there, not to mention in uh, commercial auditions and, and things like that. How did you end up with the role of Doug in The Devil Wears Prada? That was a real fortunate um, habitation situation. My manager, 
who uh, circled my name at my graduate school showcase in New York, happened to live in the same building as Marcia DeBonis, who was assistant casting The Devil Wears Prada for Ellen Lewis. And he would run into her by the mailbox and would say, please, please just take a look at my client. He's brand new to the city. Uh, it was um, just him pitching me as hard as he could to somebody who lived in his apartment building. And they finally brought me in, and it was uh, sort of like ridiculous story as far as I, we, we did our showcase on July 24th, 2000, I'm sorry, July 25th, 2004. I was cast in the Double Wars Prada July 25th, 2005. So one year wow. to the day from meeting my manager, it was a, it was a pretty exciting turn of events. All right, on to Mad Men, which, from my money, uh, top five series of all time in television. I, I love that show so much. And your character was one of my absolute favorites on the show. For, for those people who, for some reason, have not seen Mad Men yet, how would you describe Harry Crane? <laughs> well, Harry Crane, <laughs> Harry Crane uh, was, uh, he started out as a media buyer for the uh, company of Sterling Cooper. So the show Mad Men is about an ad agency in the 60s, right? And it really follows Don Draper, who is the lead character. But one of the people with whom he worked was Harry Crane. And Harry was a media buyer for the agency. And as the uh, time went on, he ended up sort of having a bit of uh, forward thinking when it came to how relevant television was going to become. And even though he wasn't necessarily... <laughs> I'm glad he was one of your favorites, Rich, but he certainly wasn't one of the favorites of the characters on the show. Uh, even though many of those characters would have preferred to have anyone else around them, he did end up making himself invaluable to the agency by being willing to bet big on TV and having it pay off. Well, he was the moneymaker at, at SCNP. While everybody else was out scrounging to find new clients, Harry was ahead of the curve doing those, doing those media placements and realizing where the future was there. Listen, I'll, I'll stick up for Harry's vision all day, every day. It's tough to stick up for his personality, but I will definitely stick up for his vision. Now, when you play a character that is, I'll say outwardly, not all that likable, obviously you can't, you can't dislike a character you're playing. So is it all about uh, finding what motivates him? You know, yeah, that's part of it. But I also, I don't know if I fully agree. I, I've had a lot of people say something similar to me, that you, you have to like a character that you play. I don't know that I particularly like Harry Crane. I rooted for Harry Crane. I mean, I, I, I cared about him on a character level, uh, not just because it you know, was my name next to his in the credits, but because I genuinely was rooting for the guy. He had a wife and kids and a life, and I was hoping for him to do well. But I didn't... Uh, I didn't particularly like the way that he acted, but to, to your question, I did certainly have to find uh, what what I felt internally could drive someone to say the things that he said, or to do the things that he did, or to you know tell the lies that he told. I think my favorite Harry Crane episode involved eating White Castle burgers. <laughs> what was your favorite? <laughs> That was definitely up there for me. My favorite episode, um, it's funny, I was just talking to my kids about this yesterday. They've never seen the show. They've seen little clips here and there. They're 13 and 10, so they're a little young for it yet. But they certainly know the people that I know from the show. And, and one of my best friends in the world is Michael Gladys, who played Paul Kinsey on the show. And his character, Paul, was written off of the show after three seasons because it 
was the character was bad at his job. It was time for him to go. But they brought him back for one episode in season five. And that episode uh, was my favorite to do because it was a, a chance for Michael and me and for Harry and Paul to have a sort of a proper closure to their relationship. Well, and you and Michael had great chemistry. Anytime you were together in a scene, it just popped. We had the real fortune. Michael and Aaron Staten, who played Ken Cosgrove, and myself, we all lived in New York when we shot the pilot. We shot the pilot in New York City. And then it was about 10 months until we moved out to Los Angeles to start shooting the show in earnest. And for those 10 months, we hung out with each other all the time. Um, you know, waiting to hear if the show was picked up. Once the show was picked up, waiting to hear if we were going to go with it. And once we found that out, sort of planning to pick up our lives and move out to Los Angeles together. So we had a lot of time to uh, get our, our chemistry up to snuff. It was great watching uh, the costumes develop as the 60s moved on. Was there a time period there uh, with Harry's costume changes that you enjoyed the most? Well, <laughs> <laughs> Those fittings with uh, Janie Bryant, who's just an absolute genius costume designer. If you look at her resume, I mean, she's had her hands on some of the most incredible works of costume art out there. Those fittings were always a delight because uh, she would always make clear this is not about you looking, quote unquote, good. <laughs> this is about you looking right. And uh, she would put me in suits that were just a half size too small or a collar. It was just a half size too small to really emphasize uh, all of me and to make sure that Harry was, uh, while he tried to be on the cutting edge of fashion, he definitely wasn't cool. So it was impossible for him to truly look fashionable. But I, of course, like many people seem to have, I enjoyed the later seasons of the show as it started to knock on the door and then step through the door into the 70s. Uh, Harry really uh, leaned into that look. <laughs> We're talking with Rich Summer here on Downtown. He's uh, he's one of my heroes. Please don't shatter my illusions. Tell me Robert Morris was as amazing to work with as I expect. Robert Morris was as amazing to work with as you would expect. Thank he you. Was, I, <laughs> I spent roughly two years of our time there trying to convince him to please write down the stories that he would regale us with. He has as you know, I mean, the guy has a career that is unparalleled. His, his sort of meteoric rise on Broadway to then find his way to TV. And then he had a sort of a, a, a resting period there where he stepped out of the spotlight for a while, but then to come back the way that he did. And with the stories that he had and the people that he knew, it was a genuine honor to work with him. One of my favorite days on set, as bittersweet as it was, was his last day which is when he, uh, if you haven't seen the show, I, I won't spoil it, but he did a bit of a song and dance. Oh, it was amazing. Was a, a tip of the hat to his career, and uh, all of us were there for it, and it was a very emotional day. So we know about Don Draper's Zen moment. Uh, we get some glimpses of what the future might hold for Peggy, but I, I think the last time we saw Harry, he was just uh, eating a tin of Pete's cookies what do you imagine the future became for Harry Crane? Well, first, just to clarify on those cookies, those cookies said on the um, the props list that day, Virginia's cookies. My wife is Virginia. Every year she made a tin of cookies for the writer's room, and the writers so loved the cookies that they asked her to please make a batch for my final scene. So oh. I'm actually eating the cookies that my wife made in oh, that, the scene. That's perfect. Uh, 
Oh, it was wonderful. It was a really cool. And also my daughter on the show was named uh, Beatrice Grace, just like my daughter in real life. There were nice little um, little uh, tips of the hat to, to all of us throughout the series, which are really cool. Uh, what happens with Harry? I don't know. I think I do think he stays. Look, he, he ascended to a position of power that that he really it would be hard to take him down from. It's it's different now, I feel like, because things are spread out so much. Um, but then it was so concentrated. That kind of power was so concentrated in really, truly only a few people. Um, I think he went on. I think there's a chance he went out to L.A. and maybe became a power agent. I think there's a chance he was running a TV network uh, by the end of the 70s. I, I, I have no question that he outgrew the ad agency world and went on to bigger things. Uh, you've been part of so many terrific ensembles, and uh, I I so much enjoyed uh, Wet Hot American Summer and uh, everybody getting back together. That that was it as fun as it looked. Well, that movie is one of my all time favorite movies. I used to watch it in grad school religiously, and so getting to do that was incredible. And and as you know, Rich, the cast of that movie is it was all it's a deep bench of people who were just on the edge of breaking out in a big way. Uh, Paul Rudd and Elizabeth Banks and Bradley Cooper and, and, you know, the entire cast of the state. It's a really incredible group. And, yes, getting to step into that world that I had watched so many times and try and keep a straight face when I was working with it. I ruined many, many takes on that uh, show. Uh, I still owe them apologies. For <laughs> uh, you also did a couple episodes of a wonderful series, uh, Masters of Sex. Did you uh, ever work with our friend, Maine native Caitlin Fitzgerald? I don't believe I had the chance to work with Caitlin Fitzgerald. I did work uh, those days with Betty Gilpin, mm. who ended up being one of the lead actors on Glow, and I uh, ended up playing her husband uh, on that show. And so it was a funny, strange little confluence of things. It is a small world. I, you know, also on Glow is Alison Brie, who played Pete Campbell's wife on Mad Men. I, it's a, uh, it's a tiny world where when you find the people you like working with. It's uh, you try to hold on to them as long as you can. Uh, but uh, Masters of Sex, that was, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'd sign another nudity waiver, uh, <laughs> my future rich. That might have been the only one. So if that's what you're looking for, you can find it at Masters of Sex. <laughs> uh, Glow was such a great show and, and certainly deserved more time. There was so many, so many talented people involved in that. We had the opportunity uh, a couple of summers ago. Uh, to talk with the, the wonderful Lynn Shelton, who had directed a, yeah. a number of episodes, and, and she was amazing. But you know, Mark Maron's work, everybody in that show was so good. Yeah, it was uh, uh, a very special collection of people telling a really fascinating and also funny and energetic uh, story. I was incredibly fortunate to get to be a tiny part of it. And, yeah, you mentioned Lynn Shelton. Lynn also directed on Mad Men and directed on another Netflix series uh, that I got to work on called Love. I got to work with Lynn a number of times before she so very suddenly passed away this uh, last year. And man, she was just a, a stellar talent. You've done some great work on stage as well. Can you talk a little bit about uh, doing Harvey on Broadway with Jim Parsons? Well, it was my first play uh, after leaving graduate school. So it was eight years the, since I had been on stage, and I was terrified. Um, it was an audition like any other. I sent in a tape 
from here in Los Angeles. I flew out to New York for a callback with the director, Scott Ellis, and it was um, a, just an incredible opportunity, not only to be, you know, on Broadway, uh, but to also be working with, with Jim Parsons and Carol Kane and, and Charles Kimbrough and uh, uh, in Studio 54. It was just sort of, uh, <laughs> I still kind of get dizzy when I think about it. I can't believe that happened. Well, and then uh, off-Broadway doing uh, Sam Shepard's uh, Buried Child with Mr. and Mrs. Ed Harris. That, that's pretty good company to be hanging around. Yeah, Ed Harris and Amy Madigan, it's a little tough to be getting to work with them when they're playing husband and wife in a play. In a Sam Shepard play, which is it's one of the last shows that Sam himself worked on before. I mean, it was one of his earliest plays, but then he worked on it right at the end of his life. And, uh, I mean, again... <sighs> getting the chance to work with them, getting the chance to go to dinner with, with Ed, Ed and Sam and hear them tell stories about filming the right stuff. And I just could, could hardly eat my spaghetti because <laughs> I was, my mouth was too wide open. It was, it was an incredible opportunity. We're talking with Rich Summer here on Downtown. I have not seen it, but clearly I need to see the George Lucas talk show. How did you get involved with this? And, and can you tell us about the, the dual roles that you end up playing in this? <laughs> Oh, Rich, we're really getting down into it now. Um, (laughs) The George Lucas talk show is currently an online version of a long-standing show at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in New York City, hosted by Connor Ratliff, who is a comedian and actor, playing the role of uh, retired filmmaker George Lucas. He's uh, coupled with Griffin Newman and Patrick Kotner. Griffin Newman plays Watto from the Star Wars movies in Full costume the whole time, uh, and Patrick Cotner plays himself, who who just sort of uh, produces the show. But I was brought on as a guest simply to uh, visit, and they noticed that I had. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, we're on the radio, Rich, so I'm gonna try and keep this perfect. I, I had a number of credits on my IMDb that was just one shy of a number they thought was very funny. So they asked if I would consider playing a character on their show, so that I wouldn't be credited as himself because that wouldn't fall into my roles i played so we created on the spot a character named steven charleston who wore a uh is really looks a lot like me except he doesn't wear a shirt and he wears a dish towel on his head and he sort of speaks in a falsetto that's really it and it got that imdb uh cast credit number up to where where we all felt it really needed to be see i i can appreciate that because i i teach high school i work with freshmen so being around uh 14 year old boys i can appreciate what they were going for there yeah we're all uh, somewhere between mid-30s and mid-40s but yes 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 it's a similar sort of uh, style <laughs> is there you, you've done uh, so many of those uh, one or two episode appearances on shows through the years is there one I, well i'll give you a, a couple options is there one I can't imagine it would happen that you look back on and say, oh, I, I hope I don't see that. Or is there one that just keeps showing up if you turn the TV on and you say, oh, my God, there's my law and order again? Well, uh, you named the one that, that pops up a lot. My mom will text me, I feel like, once every other month or so and say, hey, your SVU is on or, hey, your law and order is on. You know, I, I had the, the luck of getting to do an episode of almost each of the different iterations. Um, those, those get played a lot and the office, you know, I did a couple episodes of the office and that, especially in this last year, I think when everybody's been kind of hunkered down, uh, they've been rewatching the office with some ferocity. And so I still get tweets about, uh, 
asking me to please not break up Pam and Jim. Um, (laughs) As far as something that I'm not, you know, that I don't ever, there really isn't anything like that. I, I mean, there are certainly, you know, again, experiences where I go, well, that was less fun than others have been. Um, uh, That said, I, you know, I can't look a gift horse in the mouth, mouth, Rich. I've, I've been really, really lucky to be able to have the opportunity to make my living from acting. That was my only goal was make my living at, at acting. However, Bohemian that ended up looking and it's, it's ended up sort of more uh, energized and fruitful than I ever could have hoped. So I, I don't look any of it in the mouth. I'm, I'm fortunate to have gotten to do all of it. Will there ever be a new episode of the cardboard podcast? <laughs> cardboard was a uh weird podcast that i did for a little while about board games i'm a bit of a fanatic about board games uh it went off and on until it had been a year between episodes and i sort of decided to shelve it semi-permanently i don't know what i liked about it rich is you're doing something that i have still always wished i could do which is work in radio i Grew up a bit of a radio nerd in Minnesota. My first job out of college was answering phones, call screening for a morning show on a top 40 station in Minneapolis, and then working the midnight to 5 a.m. shift. I love doing radio, and my podcast ended up being something sort of like that, where I took calls from whoever wanted to call. They could talk about board games or not board games or whatever they wanted to talk about, and I loved that. But I will say, too, Rich, it takes a profound amount of energy to do what you do, to stay (laughs) Uh, alive on the air for that long. And, and so I uh, I don't know if Cardboard will come back in any way, but I do think about it uh, with some regularity. So I'm sure at some point it'll pop up, but uh, we'll see. Well, what's your favorite board game? Well, I have a lot of them. It sort of depends on the setting, but my personal favorite <clears throat> board game is probably one that you haven't heard of. It's called Demacher. It's uh, from 1986. It's a board game set in the German political system, uh, it takes about four hours. It's by Carl Heinz Schmiel. You know, the family classic, Demacher. <laughs> See, I had one, and this goes back. I don't I don't even think they make it anymore, but this was back in the late 70s or early 80s. 3M made a game called Mr. President, and, and somebody loves it. You're not going to believe this. I have two copies on my show. I owned a copy of Mr. President <gasps> for a while. Someone just sent me a copy of Mr. President. <sighs> do, you, do you want one? <laughs> Yes, I it's do. It's a great game. It's a great, it's one of my favorites. And I just got a second copy. I'll happily pass it on. To oh, you. I love that guy. I had a civics teacher in high school that, that took a few of the, the nerdier political wannabes among us and had a stay after school and play that for hours on end. Much of my lost childhood can be attributed to that game. It's, a, it's still, by the way, the, the electoral numbers are all off. Uh, but it is a really excellent game for anybody who doesn't know it. It's a two to four player game. It's from like 1968, I feel like. And it is, uh, you each choose a presidential candidate. And if you have four players, you have vice presidential candidates as well. And you're just trying to get the electoral votes uh, to win the presidency. And it's a really clever game. I, I still legitimately really like it. That's awesome. I, I love that you have it. That's great. So uh, what's going on? This has obviously been uh, a tough year here for any performers. I know that uh, some productions have, have restarted, but it's uh, it's difficult right now. What's coming up for you? Well, uh, as far as on-camera work, I haven't done much since this all hit about a year ago. I, I did a few days on a movie in November, 
uh, and it was a safe enough setting. It was a Warner Brothers movie, so they were taking it extremely seriously. Uh, so I felt safe enough doing it, but I otherwise have kind of been a little shy about setting foot back on a set for now. Uh, in the meantime, I've been doing uh, some voiceover work from home, which has been really kind of uh, fun. I mean, I've done a, a commercial campaign from my closet and uh, a, a couple of uh, Disney Junior appearances and a, a, a full video game that I voiced a character for, all from my house. So that's been, I'm very fortunate to have the, the tech stuff to do that, but I am also eager to get back out into the workforce. Now, I have a seven-year-old at home, so we're, we're pretty well acquainted with Disney Junior. What, what did you do for them? <laughs> Well, it's the, the two appearances I just did are two new shows that haven't come out yet. No. Uh, so I don't think I can say what they are, okay. but I can say that, that some of them were working with... Uh, I, I played a character on Elena of Avalar, which was another Disney Junior oh, yeah. show, and uh, I played a character th throughout most of that run, uh, and just recurring. Uh, but but the, the people who made that show have gone on to make another show, and I'm, I'm getting to you were, pop in with them once You were Captain Turner, right? Captain Turner, yes, a very bellowy uh, sea captain who who just like to laugh and say that's my Naomi a lot. <laughs> well, Rich, I, I enjoy your work. Obviously, uh, first came to my attention in Mad Men, but everything you do, uh, you're just terrific, and uh, I love it anytime you show up uh, in a television show. And it's great for us to have the chance to talk with you today. Thank you so much, Rich. I really appreciate you reaching out. Rich Summer talking with us here on Downtown, the podcast. We'll take a little break for a word from Cross Insurance and come back with Paula Poundstone right after this. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Hey, we're back. Downtown, the podcast. Rich Kimball, Carrie Haskell. And always a blast when we get together with comedian Paula Poundstone, who's got some time on her hands like all of us these days. I have to ask him, how about that Moby Dick? That's quite a page turner. Oh boy. You know, I gotta say, Rich, I think it's a little overrated. <laughs> I mean, I realize that I may not be taking it in on all the levels that it is supposed to be speaking to me on, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure he wasn't paid by the word. <laughs> yeah, for anybody who doesn't know, it's a, a part of the the book club that you've got as a part of the podcast. Uh, nobody listens to Paula Poundstone. I, I enjoyed the, the efficiency expert you had on recently. How has it made you more efficient around the house? No, I wish I could say that it had. I, I, I um, I, I, I can't, you know, it's awful. I, you know, I go to the trouble of, uh, of reiterating uh, in a little piece after the guest, you know, sort of, Sometimes uh, reiterating what they say, or, or you know, make in a humorous way. Hopefully, making uh, you know conclusions about what they say. And sometimes I still just can't remember. And we've had memory experts on before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, you know, it, the, 
it's weird to say I have a podcast because everyone knows that you have a podcast because having a podcast, not eating our young and breathing oxygen are three of the things that make us human at this point. Uh, every human has a podcast. Um, it's, but mine is, uh, you know, we have experts on, on different topics and, and it's sort of characters on this show itself. And, uh, uh, it's called Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. And, and the people who, the, when I when I was on the road, um, people used to come up to me at meet and greets in, in theaters and say, oh, you know, I listen to uh, Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. And then they would hesitate for a second and they go, well, I guess that makes me nobody. And so uh, and so my, the, the, the listeners started calling themselves nobodies. Uh, and as I always say, uh, nobodies, nobodies are somebodies to us. It's... It's fun. There's a there's a uh, there's a clubhouse feeling to it. Absolutely, uh, it was great. Right, to... We started a book club, uh, it, it, for, uh, uh, and we started with the book Moby Dick. <laughs> Just a little light reading. <laughs> yeah, it's um, actually. I have to say, it's yeah, there. There are things about it that do speak to uh, the present day. Um. <laughs> which is uh, which was really surprising to me um you know especially if you're a whale See, do you think adam's really reading it or is he using the cliff notes oh no i think adam is is, is reading it i didn't think that i would ever get through it and then what i did was um i uh i listened i i got a an unabridged audio uh recording of it uh and um I couldn't stop listening. I carried it with me on my phone while I did my chores, and uh, um, and I listened and I listened and I listened, and I I finished it in a week and a half. Um, and uh, Adam still doesn't believe me, <laughs> but I did. And now I now as we discuss the chapters, I, I I flip back. Part of my goal was to get John Favreau from Pod Save America because I listened to. A, a, a lot of uh, podcasts because they have a lot of chores to do. Um, and John Favreau from Pod Save America had said um, in uh, his 2020 New Year's resolutions, uh, or at the end of 2019, he had said that he really wanted to read more. And so I, I thought, well, this will give. If John Favreau joins our book club, it'll give him the chance to read more. <laughs> well, he doesn't get back to me. Wow. Yeah, that's the thing. Is that because that because he's he didn't put that on his uh, 2020 <laughs> uh, 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 New Year's resolutions list, which is get back to Paula Poundstone. I think everybody should have that on their list. It was great to hear you uh, back on. Wait, wait, don't tell me this weekend. Oh, it's fun. Can you hear my dog whining? Yes, I can. Oh, oh with the dogs and the whining. Oh. Um, it was fun to be back on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me this weekend. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the effects of the uh, pandemic is that uh, it's hard not to know a lot of the answers. <laughs> you know, the, I, I'll tell you, there's two ways that you... There's there's two ways that you lose in the contest. And by the way, I always like the opportunity to clear up a misconception, which is, yes, I'm trying to win. 
a lot of people think I throw the match intentionally. No, I'm very competitive. Uh, I, I just often don't know the answers. But the other thing is, sometimes you just plain choke. Sure. You know, sometimes, like, I can know the answers on someone else's turn, and then it's my turn, and I don't know the answers. Um, but the other thing is, um, I may know the real news stories of the day, but what really trips you up in that final lightning round of answering questions about the news is uh, the news of the weird. Mm. Uh, you know, and I, I kind of feel proud of not knowing the, the news <laughs> of the weird. Do I really need to know that someone in Florida, you know, smuggled lemurs by shoving them down their pants? I, I don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with a life that doesn't know that. Now, Tom Bodette told us, though, a while back that you know an awful lot, maybe maybe not all the answers, but but more than most people. But if you got a chance to to come up with a funny response, you might opt for that rather than the correct answer. Sometimes I suppose that's true. Certainly it was true um, on tests in high school. <laughs> <laughs> How did that I, work I, out? I, I, uh, well, I'll tell you this. Uh, on your SATs, you know how everyone's always wanted to know what, what happens if you answer all Bs? <laughs> oh, I no. can tell you. You don't do that well. <laughs> I was in and out pretty quick. But, uh, you know, the ultimate product wasn't as strong as one might have hoped. Um, I see that. We, we, years ago, uh, um, I had a job in uh, in Vermont, and uh, in fact, with Tom. And he kindly invited me to stay at his house, because that's where he lives. Tom Bidette lives in Vermont. And, uh, and I had my son with me, who was a teenager at the time. And so we'd go, we'd do the show, we'd come back. And now um, my son and I are on California time. We're wide awake, but the but the Bidets hit the hit the hay after a little while, and uh, and they you know they've obviously given us you know rooms to stay in. It was very sweet of them. And uh, my son comes comes in with me to to watch uh, on my little my mini DVD play or something before he goes to bed, and so we watch something, and now it's. We figure, okay, we're going to go to bed now. And we can't find the lights. We we can't find the switches to the lights. And we're, like, looking on the walls and looking in the hallway and looking. We can't find the switches to the lights. So we slept with the lights on at Tom Bodette's house. <laughs> That's perfect. Isn't that great? I, I'm, my guess is they it was a setup. <laughs> We're talking with Paula Poundstone uh, here on Downtown. Well, you've been keeping very busy and, and doing a lot of things to stay in touch with the fans. I love the videos uh, that you've posted. Um, I'm not sure who is more fascinated with your workouts, uh, the, the dog or the cats. Oh, you know, having animals involved in your workout, I think, really helps. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> well, you know, I started at the beginning of the um I, I, I always say at the beginning of the pandemic, and then I go, no. At the beginning of when we were told there was a pandemic, um, I thought, oh, you know, it's, boy, going to have to tighten my belt. Going to be a couple of weeks off the road, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and obviously that um, prognosis grew and grew. Um, and uh, so I started working out to videos 
online because um, I couldn't go do the workouts that I used to do. And, uh, you know, it's these really fit blonde women <laughs> with fake beach backgrounds. <laughs> and they're they're very good at what they do. But I thought, you know, who wants to work out with these people? <laughs> <laughs> not, not me. And really bad music, I might add. Painfully oh, bad yes. music. Um, and so I started, uh, I haven't done one in a little while. I need to do another. But I started making my own workout videos where I say to people right from the beginning, I go, look, I'm not an expert. So if you feel like you're going to pull something or do something, you know, to, to, you know, then then don't do it. Um, but, but here's some things that I learned from watching the blonde people. And uh, the very fit blonde people, and then, uh, and I would have, yeah, I would have animals all all around me. Uh, I I had a cat that was blind for for for, for a while, and she, she would just walk precariously near any kind of jumping exercise. <laughs> you know, she and and that's good for the abs because you get that tension. Oh, I'm going to crush a cat. Oh, I'm going to crush a cat. <laughs> Uh, now, is Ms. Nancy uh, based on a, a real person in your educational past? Uh, she is. <laughs> she is. She's Miss she's Murphy. Oh, my. Who was, who was my second grade teacher. Miss Nancy is Miss Murphy. <laughs> and um, somebody that I grew up with, because Miss Nancy is a, is a teacher from Fairbanks Elementary School in, in, the, in Sudbury, Massachusetts. And... She uh, she was forced, obviously, to um, teach uh, uh, online, and it's been an adjustment for her. In the beginning, she didn't think that it was going to last that long either. And uh, so one of her things was just every day was pajama day, and it was a big surprise every time. Guess what? <laughs> it's pajama day again. And so Miss Nancy comes out in a robe, and she's eating her toast, and she does the lessons with the kids. Um, and Russell who's one of her students, it, 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 you know, was obviously a handful in the classroom, and it's not much better uh, via Zoom. Um, and <laughs> so somebody from my actual hometown wrote to me, on, uh, 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 emailed me and said, um, it made a guess that uh, about who Russell was. You know, they thought it was someone that we had gone to school with, and I said, no, Russell was me. I was a, I was a, I was a terrible student. You're right, I, though. I, I, I didn't. I teach high school, and and we're we're in session, but we've had stretches where we've had to go remote for a little while, and and yeah, the Zoom classes, it, it just whatever you are in a real classroom setting becomes even more exaggerated in those online sessions. Oh gosh, yeah, and and the, I mean, I feel so bad for the both the teachers and the and the students now you know they're going to be kids that are you know were so young when all this began that you know that they think that people are just flat uh (laughs) it's going to take a while to come out of it but but we will but you're doing things at least i all those people who i i I envy who have learned a new language have finished their novel during the pandemic and you know all i've done is is watch old movies on tcm well that's not such a bad thing it, it's enjoyable. I, I don't know that it's it's made me the better person that I hoped I would be, but I may be too late for that anyway. <laughs> I um, I did. I I I had I had cause to watch 
Um, I don't generally watch movies, honestly, because I, I am so busy. And by the time I stop, I, I can't watch a whole anything or I'll fall asleep. And then that kind of wrecks it. Um, but I, I did have cause to watch uh, in one day Life of Brian and The Meaning of Life. Well, that's, and that's time well a, spent right there. I mean, I, I love them, which is why I have them. I, I watch them, by the way, on videotape. Um, on my VHS <laughs> copy that I bought at Tower Records a thousand years ago, um, and uh, I, you know what? There's not a moment in either of those films where it's not funny. No, that's great. I mean, just every it, it's amazingly funny. I, I and I knew that. I just I just hadn't watched them in so long. It was such a joyous experience. So I highly recommend that to anybody who hasn't. And then I I. Uh, I guess I follow Eric Idle on Twitter, and uh, he wrote this lovely thing about his wife. He, <laughs> he posted one day. Yeah, you had quite an, ex- an exchange, the two of you. We enjoyed that. We yeah, talked about that on the he air. Doesn't, he doesn't know me from Adam, uh, but I, I, he had written this lovely thing. It was the anniversary of the day he had met his wife, or the night he had met his wife. He said he met her at an SNL after party. And he said to her, I will never leave you. And he's, and he said, so far, so good. It was a really beautiful thing to, to write. And so I wrote, um, not because I knew him, but <laughs> just because I wrote, oh, well, then I guess I shouldn't bother sending these nude photos. <laughs> and he wrote back and said, yes, bother. <laughs> See, we saw that and assumed that you were old friends from that exchange. No, I mean, whether he knows of me as a comic, I, I, I'm not really certain. Uh, I've, 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 because, my, um, because my direct link to uh, Eric Idle's brain is down now, <laughs> um, you know, which is frustrating and hard to get someone to come in and fix it during the pandemic. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I'm not certain. If, uh, it, it, I don't know. In fact, I may have met him at one time or other, but I don't know. You know, life is long once you get into it. Well, yes. Yeah, that's uh, that's part of the beauty and part of the confusion of it all. Now, uh, the opposite when it comes to entertainment of watching great Monty Python films, did you watch any of the impeachment? I did. I was glued to it. Carried it in my pocket where I did chores. I did. And, and... You know, Democrats are are like old Cubs fans. <laughs> yes, they are. Which just, you know, part of the, you know, part of the, part of being a Democrat is is knowing sadness and disappointment. <laughs> um, I think it was a, you know, the overall, the whole, the whole thing has obviously been a sadness for the, for, for the whole country or those wise enough to figure it out. I mean, Mitch McConnell is just amazing. He's, it's going to turn out like that. There's, you know, it's going to be like a Twilight episode when he finally dies. Um, his skin's going to peel back, and there's just like a robotic. <laughs> Thing there, you know, he's he certainly can't be human because to to refuse 
to have the hearings begin uh, promptly and sort of so the time where they could have the impeachment hearings was, you know, move forward and move forward and move forward. And then finally, so then he says, okay, no, he votes no, he votes to quit, he votes to quit, and then make a speech where he goes, yeah, you know, it's a shame we didn't have enough time. <laughs> and the Democrats are so, well, so consistent. Before it was, well, we're in the minority, what can we do? Well, now we've got the majority, but you know, we don't want to, we don't want to really be too overbearing. We may have stayed at the party too long, so we'll let them get what they want. Yeah, well, it's a majority, but it's not a, it's, it's certainly not an overwhelming majority either. And so there is some, uh, I, I mean, I'm not an expert on any of this, but uh, um, I, am I correct? Have you guys, because you guys are in the media, you would know more than I know. Yeah. Did the Republicans go into the meeting um, when they were talking about having witnesses and say they would hold up the nomination of uh, Biden's cabinet? Well, it sounds like they they suggested that that they would hold that up and that they would hold up any COVID relief. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that when you're a human being with a heart and a brain, to some degree, like, okay, it would be like in Jurassic Park, where as a viewer you're watching and you're and you're and you're you're watching the human beings be chased by the dinosaurs, and every now and then they stop and they just look at the dinosaurs for a second. And as a viewer, you're like, "Get moving, run! What are you doing? Run!" And I think for the for the Democrats and the Republicans, you, know, you go to a meeting like that, and the Democrats must just stand there for a second and stare at the Republicans and go, wow, <laughs> we didn't, we didn't know anybody could sink that low. Wow. Yeah. But see, now you've put a great image in my head of McConnell and, and maybe Rand Paul and Ted Cruz being, being eaten by a Tyrannosaurus Rex. So I, I like that thought. No, it's the other way around. They are the Tyrannosaurus oh, Rex. There's, there's that too. There's that too. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I'll tell you something. When I was in the sixth grade, I ran for class president. And uh, we the hardest thing about sixth grade politics is that there are no issues. I I mean, the truth is, even when you come to power, um, no one turns to the sixth grade class president to make any decisions about anything. Did you Uh, promise better hot lunches or anything like that? No, we had, it was a, it's a powerless, it's a, you're a figurehead. Um, and so it makes your speech a little thin. So I, I, I made a speech, I wrote a speech, I made a speech in my sixth grade class, wherein I said, if I was elected sixth grade uh, president of my class in the sixth grade, that I would get the school to give us a soda machine. And a couple of other students made the same claim, I think, after me. They copied me. Um, <laughs> a couple of uh, campaigners, yeah, made a similar claim. And so Mrs. McKenna took us aside afterwards, and she said, you guys, actually, you wouldn't be able to do that. That would not be within your power to do. And so you can't say that in your speech. <laughs> Which <sighs> just <laughs> gives you no... Uh, it makes, apparently adult politics works different 
<laughs> it was it was no kind of training for what we were to to learn later on in life. Did <laughs> did you win? Um, no, Amy Hayes won, and they offered me the vice presidency, which I thought was kind of throwing me a bone. I thought, what are the odds of a sixth grader being assassinated? So <laughs> I, uh, no, Amy Amy Hayes won, uh, and 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 uh, uh, former President Trump, wherever you are, this is what happened. Amy Hayes won. The counts were in. The announcement was made. And I went home on the school bus, as did the other children. When I got home, I cried. And when I came back to school the next day, Amy Hayes remained the class president. That's how it worked. Where's she today, though? Uh, I, I, I don't know. At one point, she lived, I think, in Colorado and did a lot of skiing. I think Amy Hayes did very well for herself. Apparently, that sixth grade class president thing is really a launching pad. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> yeah. Paula Poundstone, uh, visit her website to uh, check out those uh, wonderful videos, listen to the podcast, be a nobody like me, and listen to Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. The website, paulapoundstone.com. Paula, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so, so much for making a little time for us today, and uh, good luck. Working those, uh, working those abs around those pesky cats. Oh, thanks so much. It was fun. Hey, everybody, remember, uh, remember the six feet thing. I tend to forget. The good you know, idea. I'm a mask wearer. I double mask now, but I have to confess, I forget the six feet sometimes. Do them both. Do the right thing. Thank you, Paula. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks so much. Paula Poundstone, who uh, we just love having on the show because... We don't need to, you don't need to do much with Paula other than just <laughs> tee it up and let her go. And it's always, uh, it's always enjoyable where she does take us. She, she is, I don't know that I laugh more with anybody that we talk to on a regular basis than I yeah. do with Paula. And uh, yeah, the podcast, if you're not a subscriber to nobody listens to Paula Poundstone, you should be, it's great. And, and it is, it's informative, but always fun and entertaining and uh, the videos that she's done during the pandemic are, are just a hoot. Check those out as well. And as, as Paula points out on her website, it was going to be a diversion for a few weeks. But uh, <laughs> now, uh, not being able to get out and, and be on the road and perform, uh, she would not be terribly upset if you donated to the cause as well when you're checking out those videos. So uh, do that at paulapoundstone.com. Our thanks to Paula, thanks to Rich Summer, and thanks to you for visiting with us this week. If you're not a subscriber, what are you waiting for? Tell your friends, leave a nice review. We'd be happy with that as well. Fives are good. Fours, okay. Three, don't bother. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> hopefully you'll come back next week. More good stuff ahead on the next edition of Downtown, the podcast.